Welcome to the Inside Envy Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Bloomer. Our guest today is a true legend. With decades of photography experience and a loaded portfolio, Jeff Curtis is one of the most respected names in the outdoor industry. Growing up in the Midwest, Jeff discovered snowboarding in the mid-80s, an endeavor that would eventually take him many times around the globe, documenting this subculture at its most influential time. Working with some of the biggest personalities in snowboarding, Jeff produced some of the most iconic images of the period and continues to be an influence on the sport. Cycling also accompanied Jeff during his journey, first as an outlet from the grind of chasing snowboarders around the world to become a focal point in his life. Leaking up with legendary builder Sasha White, Jeff was part of the inception that was Speedwagon CX family racing team in Portland, one of the epicenters for cyclocross. Jeff's wife, Jess Moni, also a snowboard photographer, hails from Australia, which eventually led them to move down under with their two kids, where Jeff documented the Aussie cycling culture, linking up with map clothing, creating most of their assets and imagery early on. Jeff has also done shoots and is part of the extended Envy family. His life has come full circle with Jeff landing back in the Midwest where it all began. Listening, learning in a family business and the energy supply chain focused on a better tomorrow. All right, Jeff Curtis. Thanks, buddy. Nice to be here, dude. Yeah, a beautiful day in Minneapolis. So cool. Really nice. Yeah. Nice. It's been a few years since we've seen each other last time. It was Barcelona. Yeah, you know, time is kind of irrelevant. 2020 feels like it's been going on for a decade over here in the state. So <laughs> yeah, that feels that feels for a forever ago, man. But uh um yeah. I keep pretty engaged, you know, with all the crew over there. So I'm I'm seeing what's happening. Frames are being built, trails are being ridden. So that's, yeah. that's right there. I'll be back. <laughs> nice. How many how many Ligors do you have? There's one, uh, only one, unfortunately. One. It's Jess's, right? Yeah, my wife's got a 29er, uh, one of the, um, uh, I don't know, what, what does he call those? Uh, the, um, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we got one of the, but I've got a little slice of the world in my bike room. I can, I can show you through the bike room later if you want. We don't have to in video, but, and I've got a, a curve and I got, a, you know, like my quiver of speed wagons and, and a nice little, uh, I ride my curve every day on my, on my, uh, my Zwift. So I'm still riding with friends over the world. So we're good. Nice. How many bikes do you guys have now? What's, don't, what's the bike now? That one. That's, <laughs> a, that's a touchy subject around here. But it's interesting, actually, because this was, um, I actually, this is embarrassing to say, I didn't ride, a, I, I rode literally two bikes all last, oh, three, bike, three bikes the last year, a fat bike in the winter, which I only ride when it's snow on the ground, and I actually just put her in the garage today. Um, a lot of mountain biking. So I've got some sweet trails at the you know cross country midwestern kind of trails at the backyard, and then um, the road bike. I've just been riding a gravel bike because it's more of a sidewalk hopper. The roads get so potholed here, so to actually go on a proper road bike ride, you know, I guess the days of Sydney were pretty special where you were a roadie because that's what you did. So yeah, I'm not riding as many. Now we have had no cross season this year, so uh, yeah, few, that just, far too yeah. few. Yeah. Yeah, this though, but I mean, the whole racing season as a whole just kind of evaporated this year. But you know, these circumstances demand it, so it's yeah. it's better. We can we can all get back to racing next season, and 
it will enjoy it that much more when, when it does yeah. come back. I would say my frequency of my duration of rides has gone down. And, you know, like on my Strava, it's like, oh man, another 45 minute ride. But my frequency has gone up. You know, I'm riding right. a lot more regularly. Every you know, you're on the bike every day at some form or another. And uh, ideally for me right now, it's been with the uh, seeing the kids shred has just been amazing. So right, um, right. broken legs, broken arms, all the above. But at any at the end of the day, everyone's going into snowboard season healthy. We've had a good good summer. So, which is actually where I wanted to start off actually with you is snowboarding because that's sort of the origin for Jeff Curtis into the outdoor industry was snowboarding, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, what are we at here? Yeah, I mean, kind of 90, I mean, not too far from here when I was uh, in uh, high school is kind of where I, I grew up in, I grew up six hours southeast of where I'm sitting right now. So not too far, you know, but um, yeah, local Midwestern hills on a wooden Burton performer was, was kind of the starting point. And then that got into, you know, the camera came into the equation in the early 90s. But uh, now I've come full circle you know, around the world a dozen times and landed right back not too far away. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So your your start was like in 87, wasn't that right? Uh, what did I do? Like, probably sooner, probably 85. I mean, I graduated, eight, graduated from high school in 87. So it puts me at 51 right now. But I can remember, I mean, literally the starting point was probably... Um, December 1984, literally to this week, probably, I can remember going through the ski magazine as a freshman in high school, and it was Ski, was the magazine, right? And seeing mm -hmm. a quarter paid ad, uh, ad of Burton, and I got a I got a performer that year for Christmas. And um, so that must have been 85, so it was a year, so 85 got a Burton for Christmas, and then spent three and a half years trying to figure out how to go, how to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, I mean, you know, I think East Coast can probably, lay claim to this too. I mean, if you can ride the slopes in the Midwest, you can pretty much ride anywhere. Well, if you can tolerate the weather, the inconsistent other shit. <laughs> You're saying if you can, if you can learn to ride the bad stuff, you can, you can uh, prevail. And that's, no, I think that's what, I mean, there is something to be said about that. You know, obviously in the nineties, when the Scandinavian boom kind of hits, those kids are world's best on hills that are smaller than here. So there's something about working with limited terrain that can put you to a high level. So, mm -hmm. But, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I still would take the Alps or your backyard any day. Um, to <laughs> you thought, you know? yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, that was always, yeah, I grew up in Burlington, Iowa, which was further south from where you are. And, wow. um, you know, like you, the first few years was on local hills and just hiking it. And then, you know, first ski area experience happened years after yeah. just hiking it. And, you know, like you said, you just get used to, working what you have, you know, and we had a golf course that had some cool sand trap features and those were our jumps. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's yeah. where it all started. I mean, it's so. interesting because we'll get through it, you know, so, so geographically I've kind of right back to, you know, come full circle to where I've started, but also the activity has changed a little bit. I mean, I'm doing a lot of um, snow skating now, you know, Hovland is a Minneapolis brand and I know Terry kind of endorsed some of their boards and things, but I met those guys when I moved here three years ago. So that was the, um, that's our go-to in the backyard. We don't have much of a, uh, a hill in the backyard, but it's enough to uh, screw around every single day. So, you know, right. Yeah. No, but snowboarding's it's cool to be back in a winter. I mean, I get, I love my years in Sydney. We can get onto that when we talk about the cycling, but uh, it's fun to be back in winter climate. Cause I miss, you know, Sydney, you miss that, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So nice For sure. Yeah, it's, it's important. Yeah. Yep. So you and your brother, 
eventually you both were competing back in the day, correct? Yeah. And again, yep. Yep. And again, it wasn't even too far that, I mean, that was the, um, there was much, there was a lot of snowboarding for us prior to the, you know, the, to the profession. And I think that's what, what kind of drops out of all this, you know, all the documentation is when I was photographing there were, you know, I mean, it was, it was early days of getting Burton Woodies, then, then, uh, chasing after it, like many chasing after the sponsor me dream, writing the letters that every manufacturer under the sun, and then having some of those things kind of fall into place, you know, then all of a sudden you start mixing with the international community a little bit. You go to the world championships in Breckenridge. I saw a photo the other day of Craig Kelly from one of the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the classic Breckenridge pipe from yep. 87 or whatever that was. But that was all kind of part of our world as participants. You know, that's prior to, it was still aspirational to be Craig Kelly, to be Sean Palmer. You know? yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so there's a, there's a good six or so years of that prior to me um, exploring getting a camera, exploring what photography was, and then having it turn into a, a, a job, which was hard to call a job in hindsight, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what year was that, that you made, made that transition into becoming a photographer? Um, what did I do? So I went to school, I, I grew up in uh, Southeastern Wisconsin. You know, that's right. I said Milwaukee, dappled in high school, went to university in Madison, Wisconsin, and kind of was that, you know, I was still entertaining all of that at that point. So I went to school for environmental studies and um, did do it. I took one photography class there in the agriculture department, you know, um, but I had a German, a German professor that taught in the ag journalism department, because that was the only journalism department that you could get into without any prerequisites. But he was cool. He's a big German got Wolfgang uh, was his name. And he taught us how to dry as like a camera out by putting it in the oven, just really good common sense kind of approach to photography, but he still tells stories. But um, yeah, college was kind of a focus on college, be a derelict college student, still snowboard, you know, Joe and I were still real close on that. So still doing the local contests and things, which I don't even know if they exist. Um, and then I moved to, uh, I moved to Colorado with a bunch of college buddies. I didn't know that well. So that was kind of, the, that was like 92, you know, so then I kind of became a, a ski bum, you know, <laughs> and, or, or, and a snowboard bum, you know, so that was kind of like, and so it was a couple of years of doing that, you know, of skiing and snowboarding every day, 180 days a year or something on the hill, having absolutely no money that kind of then was the gateway to like, oh shit, I got to figure this out. I got to get some, make this lifestyle sustainable. And then I got a camera, you know, so it kind of fell into place snowboarding. And then, cause when I was a ski bum, I kind of stopped chasing this. Cause all of a sudden you're in Colorado, you're like, those local Midwestern contests were insignificant. I'm just going to milk the free product that I got and just go riding. But then you're quickly, yep. your bank account goes to nothing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Where did yeah. where, you ended up in? Were you in Vail or Breckenridge or where did you yeah. go? Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't by choice. My older brother and sister had lived in Jackson Hole and that was a special place for our family vacations and things. But two college buddies that I didn't even know that well saying, Hey, my brother lived in Vail. We're going to go there. We got an extra bedroom. You want to come? And I was like, yeah. So and Vail <laughs> could be pretty fun. It, it, you know, th but that led, yeah, that was, that was cool. It's, yeah, and then through, through the photography, you, you basically were chasing Joe around shooting him a lot. And that led to the Burton. Kind of. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Joe, like, so obviously Joe's three years younger than I am. So when I left the Midwest, he stayed on and he was always better. You know, he was always winning and I was always not as good, but, but, um, 
his progression went from uh, it got to the national level for Burton. You know, all of a sudden, he's on the Burton team. And all of a sudden, he's going off to Val Thorens, France, for his first photo shoot with Trevor Graves and John Foster, all the big photographers. And I'm living the dream out in Colorado still, but I'm saying that's it's kind of all of a sudden Joe's rubbing elbows with Brian Agucci and and, and um, uh, Rippy and all. I'm just like, well, I got to get a slice of that. So all of a sudden, I was clever enough to bring that world to me, you know, where Joe would come out and and um, again early days of photography for me personally, as far as my skills, but also um, early days of photography, as far as the sport was concerned, you know, I would say I'm probably the second generation of shoot. You know, there were people that cut their teeth in front of us, you know, the Bud Fawcett's and the Motil and John Foster, all those guys. But as the second wave of guys, um, that's probably where I slot in, you know? Yep. Yeah. And then Burton actually hired you on to be their full-time photographer. Years later, yeah. I mean, the first the first opportunity, you know, I think that ski bum lifestyle um, kind of climaxed in first year was be a ski bum. Then I got 13 bucks in my checking account. I've eaten all the crackers and tomato ketchup from the ski lodge. So it went downhill real quick as far as the sustainability. But then all of a sudden, I think my second or third year there, I started getting some cadence with Joe coming out and visiting and then started shooting a lot. And then I started saying, OK, I'll, I'm going to go with you here, go with you here. So I literally filled up a shoebox of rolls of film that I didn't have the money to get processed, but I spent a winter shooting basically without knowing anyone besides the guys that Joe was bringing to me, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of climaxed in finally going to the grocery store, getting the film, literally getting the film processed and then drive and then going, Oh, that's pretty, pretty, some nice shots in there. And then driving out to California to John Foster and saying, this, I'm Jeff. Here's what I've been doing. Um, and them going, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, again, there was one layer in there. I had a sent a couple shots in and got a couple spreads in the photo angles of the year before. So I kind of I formed some relationships. But I think it was that one year of just, and that would be the guidance I'd give to anybody, just do what you do, you know? I just did what I did for a year and then delivered some results. So mm-hmm. that was cool. And then from that in 94, the first um, opportunity with Burton and, you know, the opportunity wasn't, I don't even know if it was a paid job. It's like, we want you to come to Switzerland to go on a photo shoot. I'm just like, what? <laughs> cool. that was nice. cool. Yeah. 94. Yeah. Actually, it was funny. I was um, going through some old photos the other day in mag- magazines. And that's what actually provoked me to reach out to you was, um, this would have been 95, 94, 95. I was writing articles for Monster Backside Magazine yeah. here in Germany. And um, I did an article. And in that article, there's, I, did I send you the photos of that? I, there's like, I don't know, but I love it. I mean, I remember, yo, MBM was awesome. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's two of your photos are in my article. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's so like, all of that, all of these relationships that then go to us meeting ourselves on a trail on the backside of, of uh, Barcelona. They all, the community, the scale of the community within snowboarding is what makes that that point in time, that those couple decades invaluable. And, and you would hope that it's going on now. There's still those bonds of snowboarders, um, but it's certainly not fringe like it was then. And that, that fringe no. allowed the relationships to really strengthen, you know? 
Well, it's it's kind of goes back to that you know old adage you know the the people that own like VW buses they wave at each yeah. other or Harley riders wave to each other. It's that kinship that you have with these people, and that's that's what was so special about it in the beginning was because you were a rarity. I remember showing up to the Snow Star ski area in Illinois, and they've never seen this before, and all of a sudden yeah. you know it's like it's crazy, and then like you see somebody else, you go, hey you're one too. And then, you know, yeah. it was yeah. really cool. And, you know, like you said, you know, I guess the modern day camaraderie that I see, um, I mean, we can get into it later on what I'm into these days, but I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of, uh, you see a lot of camaraderie here with the, uh, the Tesla owners and the EV owners, you know, you're still seeing the, you know, yeah, it's the, it's the millennial VW bus, I guess. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But and, and I, I mean, those were, um, God, that feels like, uh, it feels like forever. Time is an interesting one because it feels like forever ago, but it feels like yesterday as well. You know, I caught up with some old buddies the other day. Um, Dave, pandemic has been good for many of us because it allows to really reach out to people that are close mm-hmm. to you that you may have lost touch with, but I've reached out to it and, and Jake's passing also was a really nice, um, nothing nice in him passing because it's it's an absolute loss for his family and for his company and for um, the global snowboarding community. But it certainly um, heightened some relationships that were always there and brought that back to the top, you know, so. Yep, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, it's, no, I've taken advantage of the pandemic as well to do that and to, yeah, rebuild those bridges and stuff. It's, it's yeah. uh, yep. So, you know, one of the things... I never got to meet Craig Kelly, but you know, you, you got to ride with him and shoot with him. Mm. Yeah. That, so yeah, go ahead. You want, I, 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 yeah. So yes, all the above in a, in a career highlight for sure. And, and, and actually that's interesting. We say that because, uh, um, Savina, his widow, uh, reached yep. out to me, um, after Jake had passed and was just saying hi you know, and sharing what his daughters Olivia's up to. And, and I, I had only met her a handful of times. Right. Um, but um, Craig, I mean, Craig and David Downing and I reminisce about that. He and I are friends. We call each other on the phone regularly. He was here to East still working for Merton. But my relationship with Craig was quite special because it was very organic the way the whole thing came about. You know, he would had met him on some Burton photo shoots with the team where he would kind of be a, a, a dark horse coming into a structure that, was not part of his deal, but I guess then as my role as Burton photographer um, was very clear within the company, he was wise enough to know, you know what, I actually need to bring a little of that company to my world if I want to stay relevant within the company and keep getting my paychecks. And so, so I came, he brought me to him. He basically said, you're coming up here to me and we're doing these three days. And from that, um, there was a beautiful friendship that kind of formed out of it. So it was always um, very respectful, very professional, but always fun. You know, like it, 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 you, you were there for the work and the good times were a, a, a byproduct of that, you know? So but right. the, work, the work was uh, um, a journey. You know, there was no, there was no structure to the work. The work is like, we're going to these three yurts and we're going to walk there and you and Sione better not fall off the back, you know? So it was just, <laughs> yeah, killer, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. But he was, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah he was such an overachiever in every regard. And like, not only his riding, what you saw, but uh, the way he, um, the sustainability for his 
business model, you know, which was uh, I will start on time. I'll get all the work done before, and then we'll just separate that to keep the fun and, and we'll put, you know, um, so make sure to get the work done. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to keep doing this, but also make sure and, and keep the work at bay when it's time to have fun. So he had it dialed, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I, I mean, like you said, when we started off, everybody kind of aspired to be him. Uh, he uh. was, you know, Craig was the guy that brought professionalism. He was the first rock star uh, of the sport. And, um, you know, his work ethic was second to none. But, you know, like you said, there's a lot of stories about him. You know, he let, he was somebody that liked to have fun, too. Yeah. It's weird because you think of the whole elusiveness of Craig and even Terry and all the all the things that you can kind of say those were personality characteristics of the individual. But it was also um, the the technology or the lack of technology at that point in time played into that. You know, we didn't have cell phones. We weren't Instagramming things. We weren't connected like we are now. We weren't FaceTiming or video chatting. So does that exist now? Probably, yes. <laughs> you know, all that elusiveness and respect and turning, switching off. But I think it's a different, it's a different switch you need to pull to, to, to go that route. But totally. You know, really mm-hmm. special moments for him, with, with him, you know. And then Jake had a, my relationship with Jake, which we can get to if we want to, was quite similar as well. It was always kind of on the terms of one. Um, you know, I, I mostly knew Jake from a buddy perspective, even though I worked for his company for 20 years, you know, it was never, mm-hmm. we never dealt with the business. It was just like, we're going riding and you're, you're, you're a riding buddy just happened to have a camera as well. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was cool. That's, ama- that's amazing. Right. Yeah. You were sort of his personal photographer, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, well, I think Gallup, I probably stole that from Gallup, but, but I, in a friendly kind of way, I think it evolved, you know, I think it evolved. Um, because it probably fell in my lap the same way that sh- that um, uh, a lot of shooting for MAP clothing in Australia fell in my lap. You know, MAP, cl- MAP is a you know, cycling kit company, um, and that really defined, that one brand really defines all of my photography and actually my whole existence in Australia for almost a decade. I mean, because I, and all that kind of came to me because, you know, a- Andy Rogers, who's a lovely kid who lives in South Australia right now, and I say kid because he's, probably half my age, amazing young man, very warm and tapped in and fantastic photographer, great cyclist. He was unavailable to do something that was his deal. So he recommended me and then it became our thing, you know? So mm-hmm. there was an opportunity there that, and I probably would still say Andy's better than all the cycling photography that I am. But um, <laughs> I, I guess there was a, a friendly handoff, you know, and then it came back right. full circle for him. So there was no, and I would say the same thing with Mark, you know, like Mark Gallup was, was doing a lot of shooting with Jake because he was really good at shooting big mountains. He handed the torch to me when the torch was at a point where it made sense for it to hand off. You know, Jake was wanting more trips. He needed to produce more assets for his company. And I was on the clock for Burton. So it kind of just evolved that way. And then that's how it, that's how I worked myself out of that as well. It just kind of, mutually respectful said let's move on to something else you know we're at a different point in time so now and your wife was a photographer during this period of time as well right 
Yeah, I think so. I didn't know her then, but yeah, I, I think her her 90s were probably not too indifferent than mine. Besides the fact that she was probably a lot of moral hardcore because she was double dipping in winters, you know, Australia. She's an Aussie, you know, but so she grew up probably with a small core little group, not unlike the Midwestern in Australia. But then they would migrate to BC, so they would go winter, 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 winter. So they were really mm-hmm. hardcore. But we came together in. Uh, Crap, it must have been um, early 2000s, you know, when we met. But, uh, yeah, probably very similar 90s, chasing the dream with no money. And I think a lot more challenge. I mean, again, she overcame a lot more hurdles than than many because I think um, gender plays into it and breaking down barriers, gender within a particular sport, and and, uh, persistence has prevailed. And the times have changed. I think maybe those barriers are different now, you know. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank, thanks. Thankfully, to snowboarding, I've got two kids. You know. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did you guys meet? Did you guys meet on a shoot? Uh, she was trying to get my job. Actually, she was trying to maybe she was trying to do what I did to Andy Rogers and Gallup. No, I think she was. Um, she was uh, again. I don't know the year exactly. We got married in 05, but early two thousands. I think she was. Uh, uh, reaching out to Renee Hansen, my my boss at the time at Burton, and was was kind of pitching herself as a job for a uh, Burton female photographer, you know, trying to, and which I don't know if that job ever came to about. I don't know if they actually ever hired a women photographer. I don't think she got the job, but she got a better job. She got a, I mean, all of a sudden we were doing a lot of traveling together. So I like to say it was a better job. <laughs> Maybe she, <laughs> no, but that was, I mean, that was invaluable. Again, that was, um, um, I did not think I would ever marry an Australian <laughs> and uh, what, <laughs> what a lot of, what a trade wouldn't trade anything for the world for that. So, yeah, nice. that was in Whistler. It, I mean, we met in Whistler where she had, a, she, you know, imposed herself, which, which we did as photographers, you had to knock hard on the door and the door, just like Jake trying to get snowboarding on ski resorts, doors would close, doors close. No, 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 no. And can I, and I think for Jess's world, the the, the group was, Hey, Devin Walsh, can I come out with you guys? Nope. Can I come out with you guys? Nope. Can I come out with you guys? Nope. Can I come out with you guys? Do you have a pickup truck? Yep. Okay. Can you be on time? Yep. Can you not get stuck? Yep. You can hit all the, once you, you overcome the no's with the S's, you know, and then all of a sudden you're, right. you're yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, persistent pays off, no yep. doubt. I mean, a lot, lot of people that have made it in anything that they do need to have tough skin and be able to handle the the setbacks and be persistent and eventually it pays off for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I think the natural point for I me, mean, snow, so snowboarding was great. I and mean, we, I mentioned Jess in Australia, but we were living in a, we got married in 05, but we were, I moved from the ski bum to living in Boulder, Colorado, which, which was a really fun lifestyle in Boulder for a decade, 97 to 2007. And that was a, that was not, I mean, I moved to Boulder because it was closer to the airport. So I was traveling a ton, but it was a really fun life where I had a little, Bought a little house right in downtown Pearl Street, so that was cool. Lived alone, and basically worked all. Basically left in December, and came back in May, and then mountain biked all, and then rode my bike all summer. So I had like a teacher lifestyle, You're really intense, really fun. Edit for a month, and then just take take a, a debrief, you know. And actually, that's that lifestyle is what actually prevented me from taking the next step of actually shooting anything besides snowboarding. Cause I like needed a break, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, so, but those were g- g- awesome years, you know? 
Um, but that. So I, when did you? When did you stop uh, being a snowboard photographer? Then what year did you kind of yeah. hang it up? Uh, I think I. I don't. I don't. Probably. Um. So what did I say? Or you took I, a break. Let's say I, you took a break. I think I stopped. I stopped. I stopped contractually for Burton probably 2010. You know. Uh, yeah. Like, we kind of said, and I and I think, but after after a, a team contract, that's kind of when I started doing. I I actually increased my shooting with Jake. So there was no. And I think I, it was at that point, it was living in Australia, which actually really caused me to want to shoot things besides snowboarding. So I think mm-hmm. instead of a hard end of snowboarding, I put more things on my plate because it was more accessible, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would still do the, so I think there was, there was so many calendar days. And so and I'm like, I, I want to shoot something to keep the pencil sharp. You know, you want to keep Great. shooting. And I, so I kind of had, I had an agent in New York city and, and kind of was, was expanding my, um, I was trying to make life in, sustain- in Australia sustainable. I mean, it was expensive to live there. So I needed to supplement snowboarding with things, not only for financial relevancy, but also to um, keep your skills honed, but also to have fun. So cycling was not, the, the, at that, in Colorado years, cycling, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spoil cycling with a camera. I wanted to keep that to be my little nugget, you know, but I think with the amount of right. cycling I was doing, I think it, made, it was a natural time to say, okay, let's, make that part of a profession as well, you know? Sure. When yeah. did you, I mean, did you, were you already writing as a kid, like BMX and yeah. all that jazz? Yeah. And then um, yeah, cycling kind of came in and out of your life throughout the years? Yeah. Probably more, more, um, less aspirational than snowboarding was. Snowboarding was more aspirational, like chasing the sponsor me vibe. I think cycling was more, like you said, it was competitive, a BMX, local track, things like that. That was like, kind of like, um, early days of BMX, 20 inch wheels, dirt tracks, things yeah. like that. So, um, yep. but it was still, and then, and then the mountain biking in college. So kind of grassroots mountain biking, so competitive, but never, never photographic aspirations. It was kind of like, just mm-hmm. let's do it first and then document it. And I think, so that, that's yep. a good thread. I think, you know, be, be a, know the, know the sport before you to put a camera on it. Cause you know, that's why that's what's actually prevented me from being, you know, I would never shoot skating. I mean, I would skateboard, but again, real grassroots level. But I didn't ever feel competent enough to, or surfing for, that's a better one. I didn't grow up surfing. So to put a camera on surfing, I would have no, it wouldn't be authentic. It wouldn't be that authentic because I don't know the movements of the sport enough to capture it in a way that I would think be representative, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so when would, when was... easy. So snowboarding is like being easy. I, I was a snowboarder. Before I was a snowboard photographer, I was a cyclist before I was a cycling photographer. Yep. And when when did you move down to Australia? Um, what did we do? We had the kids in, oh, I, I've got two kids now, a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. So Finn was born in um, 2008. And we went down there for three months to, to have family doctor and have um, better health care. Um, and then we came back with a new baby back to Portland, Oregon. So that, and, and, but that was such a great little three month experiment. I'm like, Holy crap, Australia is amazing. You know, I, I can get into it. So when we got pregnant again in 2010 with Bowie, who was born in 2011, the plan was to go for a year without telling Burton. We basically sold our apartment in Portland, put our stuff in storage, went down there for a year, kind of with no, with, with a year plan and stayed for almost 10, you know? 
Now, you were uh, at, when you guys were living in Portland, you got involved with Vanilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, here we here we go to the cycling world. You know, again, this, and this is, uh, I don't, yeah, yeah. So a good buddy through the Midwest, kind of like our relationship. Um, a guy knew I moved to Portland, said, "Hey, I know you're moving to Portland." A good buddy of mine there works for a small little bike builder called Vanilla. And I think the only bikes I knew at that time, besides the BMX bikes, which were which were PK Rippers or Torkers or the, mm. uh, the bikes I knew through university were Specialized Trek. You know that 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 that's what bike brands were to me. Schwinn, you know, before that. Um, yep. But then all of a sudden to go to Portland and be like, oh, I'll go meet this guy that someone's telling me. I've never, I don't even know what vanilla is besides um, uh, a flavor or a spice. Um, but um. That was, I mean, from one visit to meeting Scott Ramsey and meeting Sasha White at Vanilla, it didn't take <laughs> long to convince him to, I, I bought Sasha's bike. Uh, the single speed, speed cross bike. Yeah, single speed Vanilla cross bike. That didn't take long to create a whole thread of, uh, you know, a quiver full of bikes. That, awesome. Yeah. So was that your first cross bike? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, my, I think my, my bikes at that point were probably, uh, I had a couple of Dean. So I was riding road bikes, living in Boulder. So road biking was a thing. So I had a yeah. couple road bikes, but there was no personal relation to those road bikes. I think I, mm -hmm. I had got, had a Trek that had gotten stolen. I had a, I had a Merlin that got stolen from Boulder. So then I got some insurance money. So I got a nicer Trek, Lance Armstrong tour edition, whatever. And then but it was the the relationships that got me that put that led the way, you know, just like Burton, you know, just like. But um, yeah, that was the beautiful integration into custom bike building into cross racing from a really um, relational starting point, you know. Do you still have that bike? Yeah, right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought Sasha, I thought back. Sasha would want that bike back. He wants it back, and I won't. I keep raising the price, you know. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a nice. But I mean, it's a, that was one of his okay. first bikes he made, isn't it? I think it was. I think the dates on it are six. I think it's one. It's the um, uh, yeah, single speed cross bike that kind of it was pre Speedwagon. So this is a 2006 when he right. built it. It's a vanilla. Yeah. So I don't have a. I don't have a first generation Speedwagon. I've got. Um, actually, I don't have a, a, a second or third. I think the first Speedwagon was about 2007, and. Uh, I didn't get that because I had the vanilla, you know, so I didn't get a, a speed bug. So my first speed bug was a geared one because I had to supplement the single, the, the single speed, you know? <laughs> and so you, did you um, immediately jump into doing cross racing out there in Portland? Obviously yes. it's a hotbed. Yes. 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 Yeah. You couldn't, you could not, you know, cause it was just awesome, you know, right. but they'd been feeling, you know, I see the community out there really grieving or missing the, uh, that community because mm -hmm. the community there was just, I mean, it was so much more than, um, it was so much more than the results of the race, you know, I mean, right. the way that Oregon did it even on a national level, um, Oregon was, they just, they were not part of, um, I don't know what's the, um, uh, cycling. You, they weren't part of USA cycling. USA they, cycling. They, they yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Colorado had the same deal. They, we yeah. had ACA, uh, for the cross series, which, 
was great in one sense because our entry fees were much lower than yeah. what you would pay at a USA cycling event. The downside of it was if you ever went out and did a USGP, you got a shitty starting spot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think you could argue <laughs> that on both sides of the, of the, of, you know, of the decision, but at the end of the day, um, the Oregon Portland cyclocross racing was awesome. There were big numbers, yeah. great community, awesome courses, shithouse weather. It was perfect in every regard. You know? Yeah, totally. Cross Cross Crusade was what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it still exist? I, Does that I, still exist? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think so. And back then, there was other snowboarders that were getting into that. Into into cross racing? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, there's yeah. There's a few of them. Yeah, there's quite a few. Yep. Yeah, Vilay Lidawoma, who's a K2 rider. Now he said, I'm yep. buying his coffee and roasting his coffee here, in my, or I'm drinking his coffee in my kitchen here. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, again, it didn't take long. Cycling was kind of good like that, I think, where I uh, oftentimes I, I hear stories of, of the UC Oxenins and the Kier Dillons, uh, the, people finding cycling oftentimes as balance, you know, balance of the, um, yep. of the seasons, but also oftentimes, um, like in all sports, injury, it's not a matter of, uh, it's a matter of when you're going to get injured because the guys are put, so a lot of guys would find cycling as a rehab and then fall in love with it, you know, get the passion involved as well. So, um, mm-hmm. so regardless, or, or maybe you find it in the um, uh, naturally in your thirties where a lot of people find cycling, you know, as a uh, yeah. enjoyable thing to do with your family, kids, health, whatever. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then, so did you, were you involved with Speedwagon when you moved down to Australia? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think the first, I can, I would have to get Sasha on the call if we, if we wanted to know the exact origin <laughs> of the, of the forming of a team, but there was, you know, I think again, probably similar to snowboarding, there's probably second generation of my participation. I mean, the first vanilla team, there was a vanilla team before there was a speed volume team. So I think. Right. Molly Cameron and. Yeah, Molly, Kevin Hewlett. Shannon Scarrett. Shannon Scarrett. You know, that to me, yeah. that's gen one. So that's the Bud Fawcett, right. um, Guy Motil. <laughs> there's the parallels but second generation would be speedwagon team you know and that's and tina brubaker probably transcends both yep. those groups you know as as trevor graves did so there's all kinds of parallels but second generation i remember sasha coming to me and saying hey let's make a speedwagon you know we're making speedwagon money. let's make a team let's make a kit let's get pulled together so that was um i was part of that group and that was while i was living in portland still you know all of a sudden we got kids we got bikes and and molly had gone off and done her own thing and um, yeah, that was awesome. And then we took that to Australia as well, you know, um, and then, and then right. it kind of took its own shape in Australia, you know, it was awesome. Yeah. I, th- I, I remember that you were doing a lot of the, the assets for the initial, um, Speedwagon team. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I thought that you had set up the team down and didn't you guys get, get a really good rider down there in Australia and everything? Yeah. Oh, come on. What about what about me? I'm a national champion. Well, you. I mean, of course. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, we did. We, you know, that was pretty organic. We, we didn't. I, I was riding my bikes down there. You know, a couple. I had a right. couple of bike, and I was getting. Yep. And Sasha's like, we. How how do we sell more bikes? And how do we get? And, and then he kind of came up with the trunk, you know, building off of a trunk show model. I'll bring the bikes mm-hmm. to the people. I'll bring the bikes. To, and then we kind of said, uh, um, again, the parallels are not. You can draw lots of lines, but um, cyclocross in Australia 
was challenged by a lot of things that Portland had. The weather was not perfect cross weather. The seasons were didn't fit the international community, but the passion was there. People still liked it. The talent of cycling was there. And but so I think we did um a fit tour in Australia. Once Sasha kind of said, I'm gonna make these fit tours, once that kind of again, the interest in my holy shit, what kind of bike is that? You know, like a lot that was the that was the the catalyst, you know, interest in the bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um that kind of said, oh shit, let's let's actually make a team and let's get really good. Let's get some of the nation's best on the bikes. So that was cool, you know? And, and that had a really nice, you know, that had a nice little life of a, a couple of generations. And uh, I don't think there's a speed bugging team in Australia right now, but that grew to <laughs> the map team and that, and that map team grew to the Cannondale map team. So um, yeah, there are speed bogans riding the courses down there and maybe that's exactly how it should be today. You know? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so then that whole led into your work with MOP and yeah. getting that, getting those guys rocking. And um, you did all their assets for a couple years or couple years. Yeah. Yeah. That And they, they seem to be rocking it. I mean, I know uh, you seeing the kid on the road out there. I mean, they did an Envy kit, you know, they paired with Envy. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, um, yeah, very but... Aussie, you know, very Aussie style, Aussie style, which is, um, uh, uh, scrutiny on every on every level, you know, like we are going to, everything is considered in Australia culture, which is nice, you know, you know, like, or I would think even cafe culture in Australia, me as an American, I would look at it and be like, they take all the bits and pieces of the world and refine it and improve on it. And then it becomes Australian, you know, but, um, <laughs> and they do that. I mean, they do that. I say that with a, with a great deal of respect. Aussie culture is amazing. You know, the breakfast, culture, right. the coffee culture, the cycling culture, is uh, on a highest level as anywhere else in the world, you know, but it's a, it's a really nice blend of this and this, but map is doing well. I think the kits. Oh, they're doing amazing. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, I go on dealer tours on a regular basis here in Europe and, you know, see them in the top yeah. tier shops around Europe, you know, yeah. whether it's Zurich or Barcelona or wherever. Yeah. Beautiful they, 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 have, they have a good presence. Not not onto them like Jake or, or Vanilla for that matter. I, I, I mean, scale is different on, on all those companies, but um, uh, all those companies, if it's Jake to Sasha to Ollie and Jared and Map, they start with individuals that have passion, and they'll put mm-hmm. they'll line up the resources. Uh, the passion is the goal, you know. Passion is what's driving, and it. it's not the quest for money. It's not the shares. It's not this. It's not the let's grow it and sell it. It's like let's let's do this because we love it. And let's be the best. We'll figure out the rest. And do you think, I mean, that that's a good point. Cause I mean, when you look at Burton, you know, it's, it's the biggest company in snowboarding and yet it's still very core. It it maintains authenticity. I can't say that word. Yeah. Authenticity. Being authentic. It's a family. Thank you. So, I mean, so right now Donna's running the show. And so I think the, um, it's easy to perceive somebody at that scale as being the big corporate guy. I mean, and again, no disrespect to the small, like GNU and LibTech, they slot in and, and find their cadence as well. But the size of Burton is not a, um, as long as they can adhere to their standard and their vision and their responsibility mm-hmm. and what they stand, they control what they are. But Burton's a family business, just so happens to be a freaking yep. massive, you know? So, yeah. No, and I and plus they're 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 a B corp too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I don't know which way you know I I, I 
I lose a little bit of the regularity. I haven't shot for map in a while, but I, I may shoot for map this summer. I wear, <laughs> you never know, you know, I'm not closing any doors. We need to get I, you I'm over here again. <laughs> I'm just saying that at, at this point in time too, I don't want to do any photography for money. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm investing my time in, in, a, in a, a change of careers with my family business and working with my 84 year old dad right now. Um, but I'm not, so I'm not going to, I'm going to shift the, um, uh, the, the work of the, of the, I'm, I'm not, photography's not going away. I still got all my stuff right behind me, but I'm not going to rely on it for my, for my livelihood. So maybe that's, will create new opportunities. We'll see. Right. So, um, you're that the family business that you went into, um, you're doing that with your brothers as well. Yeah. So Joe and I are, in fact, Joe was, I was in a meeting with Joe yesterday and he was uh shred and veil. Uh, so we had a meeting when he was, at, <laughs> but so again, so Joe's the thread of passion still prevails for him. I mean, he's been teaching me how to, how to navigate a, a company of 300 employees and multiple locations and a fleet, you know, so we have a pretty big footprint, but, um, and I'm learning, I'm, I'm stepping into an industry where we, we distribute HVAC equipment through five states. I don't know anything about HVAC equipment besides it's cold in my house or it's hot in my house, you know, but it's been absolutely thrilling to learn something entirely new, um, stubbing my toe along the way. So. That's, in, that's, that's a huge shift. Yeah, it's wicked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's wicked. <laughs> that's but great. I, yeah. But again, I mean, we're still a family. My dad still drives the show uh, at 84. We're not that big. Um, in the sense that it's right. all hands on deck to figure out what the problems are and how to make them better. So that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I imagine your parents and family enjoy having the grandkids around and seeing them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, inter international marriages are 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 challenging by any design, right? I mean, because you know, yep. you cannot be in two places at one time, and. Um, with two beautiful cultures half a world away, there's something's got to give. So we had a nice tank yep. there. We're all happy to be here. And yes, the grandparents are thrilled to have the kids close. They're in Oz now for, uh, they're in, they're, I think they're on day 10 of day 14 of lockdown upon arrival, but they are, the kids and Jess are in Oz for Christmas. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But it is nice, so to, be nice to be back in winter, you know? Yeah. So you get to show your kids basically how you grew up as a kid. Yeah. We're seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Fishing lakes and uh, just trying to savor all those things. You're right. Trying to tell those stories and also trying to navigate the, um, well, when I was a kid, there would be piles of snow at my window. There is a dusting on the ground now. Let's discuss, you know, I mean, so that was the kind of thing right. I'm trying to engage with my kids. But yeah, it's, it's really important for me to show them to have those conversations and for them to see this, you know, they, they, and we will keep both cultures really, really close um, to them because they, they deserve it. You know, they're a little, you know, they're Aussie accent. We don't want that to go away too much because they still get a, uh, they still bump into people in the hallways at school when they're in school, you know, they're walking on the left side. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. But they're snowboarding. We actually started them out skiing um, mm -hmm. which Joe did not like. Joe was put, he's like, you're blowing it, dude. I'm like, no, oh, it's just, that's the path we're taking. But they, and now they're shredding nicely, you know, really good. So now they're, right. I, I still like skiing. I still love snowboarding. 
I like road biking. I like choice. You know, I like to choose on the day. So options. Yeah. 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 Actually, I, um, I skied a little bit as a kid and it wasn't until we had kids that I learned how to ski, really ski. And I, but you'll laugh. Uh, I was adamant, um, about not being an Alpine skier. So just to give the middle finger to Alpine skiing, I learned how to telemark. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I telemarked a lot. In fact, I've got my old stuff here. I telemarked a lot when I was living in Vail. Those Vail years were, were telemark years for me. So, oh, awesome! It wasn't, it wasn't giving the finger to, to the. I, I, so you see, that's interesting actually, because right now school sports are, um, well, they're certainly challenged because of uh, coronavirus and 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 keeping the groups to not keeping the kids apart. But I, um, I am in, again letting my kids do whatever they think they want, you know. But I am strongly um, right. encouraging them to. Uh, 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 I like the club aspect of skiing or the uh, friend act rather than the um, yep. gate racing. So if they want to race gates and be part of ski team, knock yourself out. But I will influence them on, on things that were got, you know, that, that really resonate with me and, uh, right. and choose from that. But no, I, we take the same approach. You know, we try to throw as much as possible at them and challenge them and, you know, say, these are your options. I mean, you know, they do skate scooters, skateboards, snowboards, ski, you know, the whole gamut. Yeah. You know, we're we're just we're just adamant, you know, try everything and then find what, yeah. what you're passionate about, what you love to do, and then take that with you. Yeah. And so, and Sean yeah. and Ka- or, uh, Roger and Kathy White, I saw, you know, from and that's not anti team or anti competitive. You know, that's 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 inclusive to that. If that's what you want to choose, then go that route. Sean is such a great guiding principle in my mind because uh Sean's a cool dude. He's got a lot of layers of protection up now as far as, you know, because of his, his stature and his, his right. medals and things. But he, a lot of kudos to his parents because they put a lot in and simp- from what I saw, I could be wrong, but from what I saw, I didn't see any pushing. I saw pre- presenting opportunity. Um, right. They drove him to the hill every weekend. And again, that's a lot of privilege in that opportunity, but, um, there's a lot of privilege. We can discuss that if you want to. There's a lot of privilege that exists um, being a white male. So acknowledging that that <laughs> in itself is is not happening. true. <laughs> well, it's well, it's like what you said about Jess. You know, she had much higher hurdles than yeah. you did just by being a female. And then if you layer on other, you know, attributes, it becomes those hurdles become even bigger. Yes. You know, yeah. and you know, I think cycling, like snowboarding, is facing a dilemma as much as the other, the rest of the world is right now with, you know, things about race and accessibility, you know, let's face it, snowboarding and skiing has become an elitist sport. You know, if, you know, if you want to go to the mountain for a day, you know, what, what's Vail these days? 200 bucks. I don't even, yeah, it's, it's unobtainable from, from, from majority. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. crazy. um, We're doing a lot of, we live, um, I live on the just southwest side of Minneapolis, kind of inner first ring uh, suburb, uh, live in Golden Valley, but we live, we bought a 1960s house here. That's right on the cusp of a field worth parks. There's lots of my social media is probably making it look massive, but it's actually a really small little network of trails, but there's a really nice little nonprofit called the Lopewood foundation that their mission statement is, and it's a Nordic center where they were actually going to host the world cup Nordic event this uh, last year, but got hosed because of conditions as well as COVID. But um, 
it's a beautiful resource that's a network of Nordic trails and a facilities and but their mission statement is to bring to, to be to equitably give opportunity across Minneapolis uh, for participation and love of the outdoors. So it's a beautiful um, organization that um, and you see it's working. You see buses of kids coming that have never been on the snow get access to the awesome. snow. So it's it's happening. So um, they've got a little snowboard park and a little T bar as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's well, hard. I mean that's right. you know. Yeah. That's that's the challenge for skiing or snowboarding in, in itself is that the infrastructure required to actually do it um, is massive. And you know, in the Midwest, you know, we had we had the I think the advantage that we were able to make mountains out of molehills. Yeah. You know, uh, through you know, we just had the you know Mississippi bluffs, and that's what we rode. Yeah. But you know, you also got creative. You know, I mean, there was times we pulled each other behind the car, or yeah. you know, did other things to make to make it happen one way or another. And you know, kids these days, I think, have a little bit more access through the snow skates yeah. and and such. But but you know, as a whole, cycling is way more accessible yeah. than snow sports yeah. are. Yeah. In that respect, but even for you know inner city kids or you know the uh, underprivileged or you know certain categories of people they they don't have that access yeah and yeah. you know that's one of the things we as an industry need to think about yeah yeah i think the um yeah right you're right i think you've got it with every obstacle you got to find a new opportunity and and for positive impact right i think i know right i've got a couple of relationships on small skills and snowboard hills in minnesota here which are very similar to my upbringing the size of the hills but the challenge that they're seeing right now is um it parallels a lot of the challenges of the school systems actually because the busing is the is is the linchpin and the, and the the aspect that makes getting kids to their facilities um tricky in the covid environment you know those buses yep. they can't get kids there safely um you know um so th this is 2020 and 2021 is going to be a an interesting year to look at the data in a whole because I don't ultimately I think we want to be responsible and be safe and minimize the death entirety but also you want to be able to look at these lessons that are being learned and hopefully come out better so hopefully we can add better infrastructure to make um, the access to those hills different you know things like yep, this. yeah I mean the school systems are great there there's things that are that school's been forced to do, which will be lasting. They will, they will um, be able to use these. Hundred percent. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, the I mean, there's 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 no doubt the world that we live in prior to COVID doesn't exist anymore. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. post COVID world is much like it was when you know nine eleven happened. You know, yeah. I, I think nine eleven is less dramatic to the changes that we're going to experience post COVID, but yeah. you know, very similar. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, that's why it's nice to see. I, I mean, that's what I would always do. just forward thinking. Let's keep, let's go looking forward. Let's, let's learn and totally. learn from mistakes and go forward instead of, um, I think it's natural to want to read. I mean, again, I love looking at pictures from high school. I love looking at the snow. I mean, we're reminiscing on this call, but again, it's all the reminiscing is giving value to future that's that's the, the point totally i mean and you know you know talking about you know hiking and all that you know when split boarding came around i just latched right onto that yeah. because yeah. it just it totally 
it was something new and a new direction to go in. And it gave me access to new things, but it also was reminiscent of how it used to be. Yeah. You know, it was just you in the hill and you going out and creating something. And that's, you know, the same thing that cycling has given to me. It's given me access to places that I wouldn't have access to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the big, yeah. Yeah. I can hardly wait to, uh, you know, look what I'm looking forward to is, um, and I'm sure much of the world's looking forward to is, uh, travel, you know, and just, uh, the appreciation of culture, unlike the one that's happening out your backyard, you know, um, and there, that, yep. there will be, um, you know, that, that will return in time, you know, it's not, not, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not gone forever. Yeah. No, 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 it's just on hold. Yeah. yeah I'm, yeah, totally. That's, I think that's one of the bigger things that I've struggled with is, um, you know, I've done a couple trips within Europe, you know, short, brief ones here and there. I didn't get to Spain this year, unfortunately, and um, didn't make it back to the U.S. But, you know, it also opened the opportunity. We've always wanted to go to Norway, and we went up to Norway for the, uh, our summer vacation, which was amazing. Yeah, 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 nice. You know, it's interesting because we met on the – we met on the um in person for the first time on an envy shoot, which is a cycling shoot, which we're talking about snowboarding, we're talking about, but I guess it's all, uh, I don't know. It's all, it's all the same conversation really. You know, it's like we'd be yep. friends as something we'd love to do. And we just happened to come together at that one point in time. So, um, envy, another awesome brand that I, I still feel, I mean, again, I, I still feel very connected to that company. Um, and I don't know the, I guess I've met the owners of the, of the company, you know, edge back in the day, Yeah. but, it, but there are, yep. there are threads there that are come down to people to me, you know, I think, uh, right. and I, I, I like that, you know, there, there's, there's something there yep. that really resonates and, and, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like what you said with Burton. I mean, the, the core group at Envy is the, you know, the bloodline of the com- company, you know, Jake and Neil and yeah. all those guys. And it's uh, Kevin Nelson and Clint, you know, it's just, it's such a great group of people to be around. And that's why Envy is the company that it is, is because these people live it, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what attracted me to it too. You yeah. know, I, it's, you know, my, my way into Envy was what you said, you know, writing those spons- sponsor me letters, you yeah. know, and then yeah. we ended up working together and I, got my way into um, doing this position of, you know, being in charge of Europe. And when the opportunity came to bring you over for the, um, I think, what did we do? I'm, uh, it was, a, we were doing this sort of a gravel shoot. Kind of. It was just a trip. It was an experience. And we'll figure out, yeah. figure out what to make of it afterwards. You know, it's yeah. really fun. Cause as you touched on a little bit in um, where I sit right now is in Golden Valley, Minnesota. So I, it's been really fun actually. Cause I came, um, again, f- thinking of, thinking of my future was, was the catalyst ultimately that said, eh, eh, uh, uh, um, let's move back to America. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. I don't like Australia anymore. It wasn't, like I can't figure out how to afford life in Australia anymore. Although, cause I would have figured that out. It was like, I, to what you said, I want to bring the, we're multicultural in our, in my immediate family, the four of us, Jess and I, the two kids, but now's a good time to have them have experiences with my parents, you know? Um, yep. but also again, it was, it was fun. I had an opportunity to learn a family business and I wanted to take that opportunity, um, and learn from my dad while he's still vibrantly leading the company, you know, and it's, and so it's really fun actually, as I move into, we don't need to waste too much time on the, the industry in itself, but it, 
I, I kind of came in from a sports and health background. You know, I came in as a lover of the outdoors, a professional yep. snowboard photographer, professional cycling photographer, and a participant in both those things with a lot of time spent outdoors. So to come into a, a distribution company of heating and cooling products, the 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 product the, the the first point of interest was things that had healthy effects on life. You know, my home. So and then now because of COVID, those things have taken center stage. You know, they were they were fringe. Typically, people are concerned about yep. am I too hot or too cold? But now am I? But for me, it was like, is this healthy? Because that's what I, that's what my life was. You know, or yeah, we were we were enjoying the great outdoors as a profession. And the one thing I didn't consider, if I if I would say, would I, what have I learned now that would make me look at the '90s differently? I I didn't I didn't have consideration of the impact of global travel to the extent that I do now. You know, we were I was flying. It was just purely like I'm going to Japan. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to and so I'm renting this car, renting that car. I didn't have my head in the game. What the consequences of that? What that impact looked like? I do right. now. Uh-huh. And uh, and I don't regret, but I look at it with um, uh, more more knowledge, you know. Um, yep. And I think we all are now. I think we are looking at because we're at a different point yeah, in time. Yeah. I mean, we're at a different tipping point of the, um, the 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 earth to be able to handle all of us to an extent. So it's a neat time to be in an energy sector environment. So because I've got some levers to pull, but it's been fun learning, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That that's yeah that. That would be definitely, a, I think, a whole conversation in itself yeah. to go into. Well, it's just into like that. learning how to shred or learning how to race a cross bike. It's fun. It's fun to learn, and you're never too young to learn. So, no, that, that that's been thrilling for me at 51 to be like, what an opportunity! It's not only to come into a, but what an opportunity to learn again. You know. Yep. And the same thing for Absolutely. racing a cross bike or or learning to snowboard at 50. It, it's it's hard. <laughs> It's hard to learn something new in your fifties, but man, is it totally? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. Imp- I think you know. To that point, it's it's proven that you need to keep on challenging yourself, especially when you're older, because that keeps the plasticity of the mind yeah. sharp. You're always, you know, you're able to keep those uh, channels open for critical thinking and yeah. that development, but also from a physical aspect, you know, to keep your, you know, that that's the true fountain of youth is, you know, yeah. to be challenged. You're right. And, you Neuroplasticity. Know, I, that's the word that I heard the other day in a, in a really interesting session at the school where my son goes. And, but you're right. That's yeah. It's critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, you, I don't, things get mundane after a certain amount of time. And I think if it gets mundane, then that's the signal you need to change. Yeah. And maybe that, you know, maybe that, um, it's interesting because that's a little bit of the. Um, I lost your video there, Ken. I don't know if our if our quality's gone bad, but um, that's a little bit of um, um, uh, that somewhat creates a tipping point for for more growth. Is that like in any creative, I think, uh, um, or any athlete, if maybe that's part of of commerce as well. You start getting, uh, you know, I've had a couple of very inspirational photographers in my life of um, that I've taken some trainings from, but but at the point where you always need to keep. Um, filling up the jar, especially when the jar is being emptied by by um, you, you you producing certain things because that's what you're good at producing. But that can be quite draining if you don't find time to uh, to rejuvenate yourself with creativity. So it's that work life yeah. balance. I guess. 
Yeah. Totally. I lost your video, but I, as long as you can still hear me good, we're good. Oh no, I think we're I think we're doing good on the nothing broke up. Are you think we're boring anyone that's going to listen to this, or is it is it good stuff? No, no, this is this is I, I'm enjoying it. It's <laughs> good, 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 good to see you. I'm gonna yeah, ride. totally. Cold. So I'm riding a lot. Snow bikes are pretty awesome. I mean, Minnesota, again, it's got a great winter culture here. I mean, and this is like a winter culture that transcends um, what I thought of winter. It can be like 20 below here and people are out doing shit. It is awesome. <laughs> well, didn't it, Minneapolis, didn't they have that, uh, those, those skyways that were heated and stuff? Oh, so you didn't ever have they, to be they outside? Do. I don't know what those things are at right now, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, I live right, the, the lakes culture here, it just, it, it just vibes. Yeah, people totally. People are doing stuff, and it's just like, whether that be ice fishing, or if it's ice skating, or it's just like, um, I guess that's different than my upbringing. This city is drenched in snow. Um, and, and in Wisconsin, I think with that lake effect in Lake Michigan, the cities were drenched in sloppy, wet, mushy snow, <laughs> even if, it, you know, so I, I think yeah. a little bit further north where you're really getting that deep winter culture um, for winter, you know, it's yep. so. Yeah, we just watched um, Grumpy Old Men the, the, with the kids. Yeah. And, you know, they have that, that scene where all the shanties are out on the ice yeah. and they're all ice fishing. And for my kids, that was just like, what? What yeah. is this? Yeah. Mind bending. It's yeah. just great to see the kid. I, I enjoy watching the kids reaction more than actually, you know, seeing that myself. Yeah. 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 That's hilarious. But it, yeah. Yeah. So, but no, life is cool here. Well, I mean, again, I don't, um, I, I was talking to Joe the other day, my brother, and he was said that he likes to plan. He like kind of always looks five years down. I said, I don't, I guess I'm a little bit, I don't know how, how I look at the future. I, I mean, we, I know we all need to look at each day and take every day for what it is because life is fragile and things are, especially in a COVID environment, really um, appreciate what you have and get the most of every single day. Um, I guess that's my yep. approach. I, I've told my kids I'm going to live to 100. So I got to, I'm going to, I got to backpedal into that. You're <laughs> halfway there. I guess. I'm over. I'm past the third. <laughs> we all know how fast those last couple laps go. <laughs> oh, man. It's right? like what we were talking before we started this. It's just, you know, we're both getting old and, it's it's true. I mean, like the '90s seem so long ago, but they also seem like yesterday. And you know, the kids yeah. speed that process up. It's just like, you know, with them around, you're like, man, just feel it slipping through my fingers almost. Yeah, yeah, they're going quick, man. That's the, that's the truth. You're right. That's why we got to get back to the shredding in the Alps and go over and see some of my other friends. And yeah. No, but we'll we'll, yeah. we'll ride again. We'll award or whatever. You know, I love a slipboard trip. It'd be fun. But anyway, the Minneapolis here, the fat biking. I never thought fat biking. Looking again, this I'll never judge anything from afar until you actually get in there and give it a crack. Because uh, probably the same way that Jake looked was looked at at the early days, or Dave Downing was looked at when he was pioneering the first flipboard. What the hell is that? Get a pair of skis. You know, fat biking from afar from from didn't look mm -hmm. like my cup of tea. It looked clunky. It looked hokey. It looked like a very inefficient tool, you know? Right. Wow, was I wrong. How fun is that shit when it's 10 below zero and you can ride single track and feel <laughs> so challenged in a whole new way? You know, I mean, and Jesse Lalonde has been a buddy of mine through Twin Six. He works for a small clothing yep. brand here. Um, he's a fantastic single speed racer. Um, he's a family man now and we're, we're friends from the kids in school. 
what a what a sport, man! What a sport, and what a what a feeling of to be able to ride in the cold and to ride when it's twenty below zero, and it's killer, you know, at night. You know, it's just awesome. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Did they groom the tra- trails for you guys there, yeah, or are you we, guys pack we, them yourselves? Some of the um, they groom the Nordic. They're, 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 it's again, it's super grassroots. You know, a small little group of core dudes are out there snowshoeing them sideways, and then and then snowshoeing them again. So it's all homegrown style, you know. But there's, I can go ride for five hours on perfectly hand groomed single track snow bike train. Right. You know, it's it's insane. Yeah, that's that is insane. But it's that's a small crazy. group of people doing it because they love it and it benefits the community. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's wicked. Yeah, you know, community is always at the core. It's always what drives the sport forward, whether you're talking mountain biking or snowboarding. It's it's what creates those, you know, I mean, look look in snowboarding, Mount Baker, yeah. Uh, yeah. LBS. I mean, there's no other event like that in the world. Yeah. You know, and I mean, heck, and you guys you guys have a pretty big event in your backyard. The um, Iceman Cometh yeah. is yeah. is not yeah. too far away from there. Yeah, those are big, yeah. And I think that whole... Um that whole race season probably got put on hold as well, you know? Um, yeah. Um, maybe that'll come full circle. You know, I went and did, I, I haven't done the Shawamigan for a while, but, um, and now it's just a, it's a balance of time, you know, like that's why I'm finding more, more um, benefit from not racing because the racing, maybe that'll come back. I think when the kids want to race and I know that's kind of right now, it would be a selfish endeavor that would take me away from things that I want to focus my time on. But, um, you know, the, the, the weekends at the hill, the snowboarding, um, is awesome with the family. So, mm-hmm. um, cameras coming back out a little bit. Cause I'm kind of, I'm kind of blending the worlds and joining forces with a couple little ski resorts that, um, to kind of, um, help share their stories of positive change they're doing. So which, which ones are you working Wild with? Wild mountain is the one that, um, uh, is, is got their finger on, uh, again, or, organically kind of found a harmony working together. But, you know, they're new owners there that I only been to Wild Mountain once before, you know, once last year because a friend said, hey, we're going there because the kids go there. You want to come have a ski weekend? But it's, um, I think, uh, by design, it's no different than any other little ski resort in Minnesota. But, you know, got some new owners here and they're, they're, they're putting their values um, to work in regards to how they want to run their business, you know. So they're sourcing their electricity with renewables. They're doing offsets when they need to. They're um, so I think the COVID response is encouraging them to leapfrog into the next response, which would be um, impact responsibility. So that's yeah, cool. Amazing. They're changing their how they heat and cool their buildings, um, not heating rooms where you don't need to heat your rooms. A little bit of European sensibility, which has come from high price of heating and cooling in those environments. But you know, like remember, I can remember going to a. Um, Daisuke's house for the Rafa Supercross when we race cross over in Japan. You know, Japanese, the way that the Europeans or Japanese heat their homes is selectively. You know, we, we're not going to heat that room over there because why would we? No one's in that room, you know? Mm-hmm. That hasn't been the way that America has done it. We build our homes differently, heat our homes differently. But I think now we're learning from that um, what we're seeing in other parts of the world. So that's yeah, super fun. Yeah. Wild Mountain's killer, man. They got good snowmaking. They've been open, the first to open. You know, they, they, they're, 
they're not grabbing onto anything too soon. You know, no one wants to claim something for the wrong reasons. And um, but we're right. doing some great things, really, really good things. Nice. Yeah. I've never been to that one. I the only one that I went to in Minnesota was Aftonell. Sure, that's that's an awesome little hill. Really nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Golf course, golf course in summer, right? Probably. You know, I guess it's the same as snowboarding. I th- I think when um, it's easier to small is not bad, you know, like the, the finished snowboarders, no. when you have a small resource, it's easier to refine what the things are important to you. And maybe that's what wild mountains doing. It's a small hill. They've got one building, you know, they can say, okay, let's take responsibility of this building and make it more comfortable, better air quality and, and minimize our, our emissions coming out of this heating and cooling in this building. So they're maybe able to pull a couple more levers that, that becomes harder, the bigger with scale, you know? So. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's awesome. I mean, you see it in some other places as well. The ski areas are catching on that they need to, you know, they need to engage the environmental concerns because that has a direct impact on their their business. Yeah. 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 They're the ones that we need to be a pioneers. So yeah, it's, I know. Right. I mean, Burton in the, yeah, it's up, we can all do it. Everyone's got a lever to pull and maybe that's maybe that, you know, from the, from the participant standpoint, you know, maybe in the Portland scene was that, you know, I know uh, Ira Ryland's motto is always like, um, um, I think it was like ride to work and then ride home or something like that. But I mean, the Portland community in that cross crusade, a large percentage of the people winning races rode their bike from home, raced and rode home. So that's just how they right. did it. They didn't, they didn't do it because it was good to do. That's just felt right. The, cl- the races were close enough. They're white right. in the car. They didn't have a car. Um, and that's a great model, you know? And so maybe the lesson, totally. maybe the lesson is, and again, COVID challenges that, but, but ride carpool to the hill, go with your friends, go on the school bus, not now, yep. but we'll get to that again, you know? So I think dialogue, dialogue always fosters education. So I think that's a, a thing. Totally. Well, it just provokes thought and then makes you think about, okay, what am I doing? Yeah. And what do I, what, what I, maybe what should I do? Yeah. You know, and, and to circle back to the, your fat bike experience, you know, I had reservations about e-bikes and, um, it's, you know, it's still not something that I would want to have as my main whip. However, um, you know, uh, I saw Jeremy Jones, uh, started using an e-bike to get access to backcountry, And I'm like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, 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 you know, cause where we live, we have, um, you know, some ski hills, but also backcountry access, but you know, it's, it's not too far. So if I had an e-bike, I could easily yeah. access all this on yeah. an, on an e-bike. No problem. It's a little too far. Some of the spots for, to ride a bike, but you know, throw some flat pedals on an e-bike. Hey, yeah. you know, money. Yeah. Yeah. That's You're a good way to, Yeah, totally. And it's funny cause the e-bike thing in Sydney, um, that's a tricky scene because it's a it's a um, very dense city, lots of not a mm. great road in the place, you know, um, lots of hills, but but it's still a vibrant cycling culture. So um, as a professional, uh, again, if I were a professional, I worked out of my home when I lived there. But if I were going to work, so for me, cycling was sport. You know, I would go, I would ride in kit most of the time. I wasn't a commuter, but as a commuter. I personally would show up at the office or the school or the place it would be very sweaty. An e-bike would be able to help 
prevent that and and put one less car on the road. So, right, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and you, you know, like what you said about you know the saying, heating thing with the um, Europeans yeah. versus the U.S. Oh. sorry, we 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 kind of lost it there. Yeah, I lost a little bit there. What were you saying on the uh, euro euro? Um, um, so no, so just to kind of circle back to the. What you were saying about the U.S. versus Europe's uh, Europeans on heating, you know, the e-bike started over here, <clears throat> excuse me, and they've already taken it pretty far um, to the point where they have cargo bikes that are e-bike powered. So, you know, it's the e-bike is, you know, this the segment that is mountain biking is actually very small. It's all sure. about mobility. Sure. I think at the end of the day, the biggest... Um, some of the some environmental coaching that I've had for some from some very smart um, academics. Um, the, one of the most powerful words that I have in my vocabulary now is the word "and." You know, and I think "and" is a fantastic conjunction to bring in, to foster inclusivity. And ultimately, I think that's what we're saying is is those great. There, there's lots of there's lots of ways to do things. You know, you make a salad different than I make a salad, but if we can build on on uh, in an inclusive nature we together potentially we can make a better salad or we make an absolute mess but i think i think that's that's how we look at e-bikes or snowboarding or 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 heating cooling mm -hmm. whatever i think that's that's how we need to get through um and yeah. make all of it better for our kids and things is is the power of and totally yeah. totally being inclusive um looking at the whole picture instead of just one yeah skiing morning and again i think it's it's a lot of us versus them is a, is a natural um way to go but i think when we can go beyond that through education and dialogue it becomes a, a, a it's an us you know so right and i think that's what's been really did you, did you, go ahead i'm sorry did you see uh jeremy jones uh purple mountains no he goes you know the whole premise of that film was um he talks about that the environmental issue wasn't even uh, by it wasn't even a partisan issue back in the day. Nixon actually started the EPA. Ah. Nixon actually signed the first environmental bills and stuff. And it's only you know in the uh, in the Reagan administration that it became polarizing mm. and became a partisan partisan issue. But you know, there's I think anybody that partakes in the outdoors has an interest. You know, yeah. Okay. I'm done. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, whether you're a hunter, you know, I mean, you, you know, part of the NRA and you're a hunter and stuff like that. I mean, you have just as much yeah. uh, interest in, in, you know, protecting those resources as somebody that's a snowboarder or a cyclist. Yeah. 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 So I think it's not, I mean, it's, um, it's a good time to be alive through all of this, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so. Awesome. What's awesome. that? Awesome chatting. I, I, uh, I hope you get a yeah, no. of it. <laughs> so totally good to have you here. Um, I did want to mention, so we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, snowboarding got put on hold and you were tell before we started talking, you told me that you just had a, um, Virtual summit for Burton. Yeah, that was cool. You want, you want me to dig into that a little bit? Yeah, I think it was um uh, my buddy uh, Dave Downing, who was a you know he and I were kind of attached at the hip in the '90s through snowboarding because we were you know 
became friends and from the friendship. We did a lot of travel and things together. But he has maintained a, a um, very tight engagement with Burton. So he, I think he's done some consulting, but he's uh, found his, his uh, I think he's most involved now in a lot of the um, um, retail aspect of, uh, of the Burton, which I think has been really challenged because of COVID. But um, he reached out to me and said, hey, would you be available to have a conversation like this on video for a sales meeting for Burton? Because we're doing a virtual sales meeting, which we've never done before. And the theme is the nineties. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it didn't take much prep, just like this call. I just said, yeah, when and where do you want me? And uh, we organized a little bit of photography and we talked about some specific photos and it was a little bit of reminiscing about back in the day. Um, but it was also, it, it came full, every discussion went to what it, you know, it went to a forward train of thought so it was cool man it was it was um collaborative in the sense that we were taking i mean all these mechanisms are so cool now it was a live chat i wasn't seeing the other people in the meeting because i think um but i was we were we were collaborative on, on the chat um and answering questions live and just like i'm saying in the kids school my kids are both in distant i mean my kids are in lockdown in australia participating in north american school hours you know and so it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were. It was present, and it was. Uh, uh, but like you said, there was a lot of things that I guess time in itself can create disconnects. That a lot of guys, uh, they were. Uh, it was nice to, to bring some of the things of then to now because there were some stories to be told. So it was. I think. Huh. I think it was fun. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And like you said, you know, with the passing of Jake. I think it's even more poignant to have those reflection moments, yeah. you know, because, you know, uh, he was such a huge person in the industry and, yeah. you know, the Burton exploded in that time period and, you know, is the company it is today because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He would have, uh, I'm just looking at my, uh, my next commitment, which is two o'clock, man. The working from home is pretty intense. <laughs> no, it's a, well, luckily, I've been I've I've always worked from home, well, so it's, it's, it's no, it's nothing. That's exactly right. It's interesting because they um, uh, a lot of yes, we were cut out for this. <laughs> to be honest with you, because we, I mean, I flipped hotel rooms upside down for the last two decades and made them into home offices. So yes, you're right. The the self employed, um, uh, vagabond style. Uh, that a lot of snowboarders and surfers and things, we were cut out for this in a sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah totally actually, nomadic. Well, that was the, actually the interesting one is that coming into the family business pre-COVID, that was the thing uh, to come to a office environment. We're not corporate in this wearing <laughs> suit and tie, but you do have to be present, but present um, was very different than I was used to because present was, was, parking lot at 5am with a snowmobile. That's what meaning present was. So I guess it's all the same. Mm -hmm. That was a, so maybe there's a parallel there that present is now once again shifted present in the snowboard photography context was 5am in the parking lot with a snowmobile in your backpack, ready to go present in the corporate world, which I learned three years ago was accountability in, in the office environment. It's uh, within hours that resonate with the rest of the company. And now present is having internet, right? <laughs> Right. Well, like, well, like we said, I mean, post COVID is going to be so different. Yeah. I think so many companies have discovered they can, 
do this without actually having people physically. I mean, I think yeah. there is something to be said for getting together and collaborating Absolutely. and, yeah. you know, you need, you need that human touch. We all yearn for Absolutely. that human touch. Yeah. Let's be There's serious. a synergy that I'll find, you know, that's a word my dad used this morning. He needs that synergy, but synergy, um, has forever been changed, you know, hopefully, um, yeah. hopefully for the better, you know, with, with, with uh, Again, we're at a horrible point in time right now, especially in this country with the, the catastrophic loss of life, which um, we could have had a different outcome. Um, I think we're on to better days, you know, with a, with a different administration, I think, um, with a different respect in uh, uh, having science be the guiding principle. We strayed from that as a, as a country. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. not arguable now. That, that's clearly being acknowledged. Um, and and that has done uh, that's put us to where we're at right now, which is unfortunate. But yep. yeah, agreed. Yeah. But you know, there's a seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel yeah. globally, yeah. you know, and uh, as well as in the U.S. And I think we are on to better yeah. days in the near future. Yeah. And let's hope that 2021 is that new light, and we can take some of these lessons that we've learned. You well, know. Totally, Ken. Not only in this It's interesting because totally, and I think the, the, the analogy to snowboarding that I would make is that I always, um, as a photographer, I always needed, I always wanted to surround myself with people that were a lot smarter and a lot safer than I was, you know, guides and things. Because to navigate yep. the natural train was not my expertise. I, I need to have, because my expertise was the photography. I got that. I need the best athletes to do their thing. I can do the photography, but to get to where we need to go, we need to have the best safety experts, avalanche experts, um, making the decisions to say, yep, you can go down there and shoot from there. And if you didn't have that, you could end up in a situation that you didn't want to be in, you know, or, and that yep. could create a loss of life. So um, yeah, that's was always, I always today still like to do that. I want to surround myself with, I want you to make the salad if you're a better salad maker, because maybe I can learn from you on how to cut the tomatoes, you know? Yep. hundred percent agree with you. Yep. That's, that's one of the lessons I learned early on in life and have lived by ever since. Yeah. And it's not to be scared. I mean, again, I, I think, but I think you have to have appreciation of that expertise um, of the snow science in that particular case. Um, I think you've got to be curious and willing to learn. And then from that learning, we'll get, we'll show respect, yep. you know? You don't need to be a, a paranoid. You don't go into the back, but but you need to put yourself in a situation to educate yourself. So, absolutely, yeah. you know, in in this especially this time of the year, if you know, it's obvious with COVID that ski areas, you know, are uh, here in Europe they're not even operating, and other places they're operating on limited basis, and so it's pushing a lot of people into the backcountry. Like we saw, you know, the cycling sure. industry had a big boom. And and so backcountry's uh, booming this year, and with you know those wise words that you're saying, take an AVI course, learn, yeah. be you know, go with people that are smarter than you, let them make the decisions. Just because that bowl looks so good, it might not be your best decision. Yeah, I, it, totally. I, I think I, I mean, I both, you and I are both parents, you know, and but uh, one thing that I've heard from a very very powerful. Um, independent school that um, I'm kind of interacting with now 
you know, they're, they're always trying to foster that environment of um, intellectual curiosity. You know, that's one of their, and I think that's, mm -hmm. that, that's what I want to do as my, as a parent, I want to always create an environment where you, where you're trying to, and again, it's not easy because you, you sometimes you're like, be quiet. Or, but again, you want to foster environments uh, where you do want to have people ask questions. Um, uh, yep. And I want to put myself in situations well, where I'm allowed to ask questions, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the thing is with kids, you know, there, there are no wrong questions, yeah. you know, they should ask questions and not, not feel uh, like they're, you know, reprimanded or, uh, you know, stupid because they ask a question. I mean, it's actually smart to ask yeah. a question. That's, how do you do barriers? Nice. How, do, how do you do barriers? You know, I can remember. I can yeah. remember yeah. My, I can remember. It was, I mean, I think I probably bought Sasha White's bike on a Thursday and did my first cross, cross, first cross crusade on Sunday with, with not even knowing what a cross. And I remember the bike, Sasha had his bikes reversed and my bike, my brakes were Euro. I had no gears to worry about. But I had no freaking, and I can remember sitting in the parking lot of Alpen Rose Dairy, where that was always the first venue of the year, watching a video, watching a YouTube clip on how, I was like, okay, that's cool. I got this. So I, there was not much expertise right there. I don't think this is a life-threatening situation because I probably stuffed it up and tumbled, you know? So I, I didn't need to have expertise to engage at that point. So, but, which you do, I think, to navigate uh, a global pandemic and you do to navigate highly dangerous avalanche terrain. So there's a time and place yep. I think for it, but um, yep. I, I just dove in, I just went for it, you know? And again, I, I think that was uh, that there was no risk in going for it besides maybe right. making the field, you know, which I don't think there was. Right. The penalty, the penalty was yeah, low. Yeah. It was low risk. Again, I don't think I was ahead of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Good stuff.